morning, everyone. I'm not really sure where this is going to go because it was just an, uh, sort of initiated by a post, uh, a meme on um, Instagram. So, and it's about how um, sometimes if you if you watch your narcissist, um, and this will probably be mainly focused on my Casanova psychopath um, narcissist, um, which is who I call narcissist number two and who is Jonathan in my book, Dangerous Normal People. Um if if you step out, colour outside the lines and step outside the timescales that the narcissist gives you, because if you think about it, narcissists, obviously, we all know that they are directors and puppeteers and they like things done their way um, at the time they want it done because they're always acting immorally and unethically and, well, illegally and antisocially outside the times when you, particularly if you're a new supplier, fresh fresh meat, you're being love bombed, you're being idolised and, and they're still not quite ready yet to overtly devalue you and, and start cheating and looking for new supply. So when they want to keep you sweet, right, keep you interested, keep you still thinking that they're this, the, the person or the persona that they've presented to you in the beginning when they were mirroring you, everything's got to be done at a certain time. You know, you're not going to get a key to their house um, you're very much not going to be given this vibe. Just pop over when you fancy, or call me when you fancy, or WhatsApp when you fancy me, or fancy, uh, or, or or FaceTime when you fancy. It's very there's very much a kind of vibe that they are going to keep you at arm's length, and you just don't step outside the rules. But you don't know the rules yet, right? Because it's so covert and insidious in the way in which they make you feel like you can't just pop over or you can't just call. Um, and it's a new relationship and they will have already have been, um, they will already have been um, noises in the beginning. Particularly if they were grooming you before actually you were intimate, which I, I was six months being groomed by my narcissist number two. Six months um, while he was devaluing and cheating on his existing main supply so there was three of us in the triangle but I had no idea um and that just a vibe was he liked his own he liked things his way he liked his own routine because he was always going to meetings AA AA <laughs> aka AA meetings and uh, CA meetings and what have you um he gave this image of having a really busy life that whereas and it took time for him to give me this vibe um, whereas if I wanted to speak to him or see him, um, or we were going to have a chat or we were going to meet for coffee, this is all, like I say, before we were intimate, it had to be on his terms. He had to be the one that was inviting me, um, and would open conversations on Facebook or would open conversations on WhatsApp as things progressed. Um, he loved the fact that I had a routine, um, and I am very much a routine person. I, I, I love rules and conformity and routines and um knowing that every day i've got certain rituals that i i can complete whether it's ocd or we're going into the autistic spectrum i don't know all i know is i'll just like things a certain way so he loved that he loved that i was always at the pool um i think it would be at the beginning the first few months was was Always, I would take an afternoon off work because I was self-employed because I was working with my narcissist, number one. And I, he was in full devaluation. So I was, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you need to buy dangerous normal people if you want to know the full story. Um, 
so I was it was in an afternoon because I'm a really fast worker. I can get more work done in a day than most people get done in a week. Trust me, I worked in charities for 18 years and I saw the speed at which people worked for very good salaries and I'm fast, right? <laughs> um, so I would do all the work in the morning, get ready and go down the pool. And I was always down there about lunchtime. So he liked that. He he liked that. So I was that was another reason why I was good m- potential main supply for him. I ticked all his boxes because I liked a routine. So he could predict my movements and he made sure that I didn't ever predict his. And something that this this Instagram thing m- referred to, I might have talked about it before. I don't know. I think I might have mentioned it in the book. Um is about when a narcissist doesn't know that you're there. And I mean physically, okay? Or they're not expecting you to be there. And you just, just catch them out with that timetable that they usually you're in. You're going to see and sense a completely different person. And you're going to get a bad vibe, right? You're not going to be impressed or, oh, isn't that cute? Or surprise, you're going to immediately, it's going to jar with you, okay? And oh, I'd love anybody that's um, listened to these podcasts and they go, oh, yeah, because I like to try and do topics that the other experts forget about. You know, they talk about gaslighting and coercive control. I do all that as well. But I try to talk about the little weird things about narcissists that are kind of slightly uncommon red flags. You know, the, the, the red flags that are there, but other people either miss or don't see as important. Um, and I do that on my YouTube and here. So please do, if you can comment or get in touch with me on Instagram or um, in any way, shape or form, tell me this is great or please talk about this or whatever. Please engage with me. I, I love that. And I'll give you two examples. No, I'm going to give you three examples. So one was, and the, and the reason why you know that they're red flags is they stick out to you. So after the relationship has ended and you're, the mind fog is lifting, these are all things, by the way, mind fog is lifting, the pennies are dropping and you're getting epiphanies. These little bing moments, light bulb moments are going to go off. And for me, it isn't even light bulb moments. It's memories and memories where things didn't feel right. And at the time during the love bombing and even early devaluation and when I was trauma bonded and madly in love, I thought, and obsessed, I used to push aside these little moments of, hmm, that doesn't feel right. And I just push them aside and I'd hide them and they pop up after you've come out of these toxic relationships, when you're out of the toxicity and the addictive sort of chemical um, imbalance of the relationship. I'm just have a drink of coffee. So example number one. Um, this might even have been during love bombing, but it, or, or we, were, we were only just, I think, seeing each other. So I've rocked up. He used to actually ask me, he used to say, when are you coming to the pool, baby? When are you coming to the pool? What time will you be at the pool, do you think, baby? When are you coming over, baby? He was obsessed with knowing when I was coming. But I used to think he was excited about seeing me. Was he fuck? He was trying to keep all the other supplies, all the cheating, all the other behaviours away from my zone of communication with him. So if he would message me and go, when are you coming to the gym, baby? And I'd be like, oh, 12. And do you know what? See, 12, 12 is my 12. I'm never late and I'm never early. I'm a very punctual person because I'm quite an organized person. So he knew until five to 12, he could be fucking about, wanking, cheating, chasing somebody around the pool. He could have, uh, the, uh, uh, let's call her Sinead, who was his main supply until he dumped her and kind of t- continues to be his on-off main supply there with, <clears throat> you know, a, a, 
and it was only towards the end of the relationship when I started realizing all this stuff that I, when he would message me and go, when are you coming to the pool, baby? And I'd go, oh, I don't know, just to fucking wind him up because I knew that unsettled him. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the first time that this, uh, I caught him, I think, well, not caught him, but I saw him in his own skin, right? Which is a monster. These people are monsters. Whatever they show you when you think you're in love with them or you're falling in love with them is fake, false, faux, okay? So turned up to the pool about five, ten minutes early and... I'm just at the double doors. Uh, yeah, I'm saying it. Global's Leisure Centre, right? Because he doesn't work there anymore, so they can complain if they want. And they sacked him for sexual harassment and sexual, um, all his misconduct over 15 years. And they recruited him from an ex-offender programme you know, with multiple offences, including knives and violence and domestics. They should never have put him in a poolside. So if they don't like these podcasts, they can take me to court because I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get a freedom of information request and I'll get all of his... I'll get everything from the whole time he was at GCC, every complaint, every complaint. And I can get, still get in touch with the women that complained about him, by the way. So push me if you want. Anyway, so Gorbel's swim pool. So go to the double doors. And I just stopped because I saw him at the corner of my eye walking through the reception. And something, I, it was like slow motion. I stopped, instead of pushing through the doors, I going, hi, gee, Jonathan. <laughs> um, I stopped and I waited. And I waited for four or five seconds and I watched him. And he walked, and he walked in this crowd of people. Um, I don't remember seeing who they were, but they were other uh, Glasgow Life staff, you know, the orange and turquoise uniform that they used to have. I think they've changed it now. Um, <clears throat> all around him, like a little kind of gaggle of sheep. Um, he was the wolf, obviously. And he walked differently. His shoulders were back. His head was higher. He was strutting, smiling, super confident. He didn't look like my my Jonathan. Um, there was this air of, I'm not interested in who's around me and who's following me and who's talking to me, who's walking with me, because I'm Jonathan. I'm here. I have arrived. There was this massively <clears throat> egocentric, narcissistic, Machiavellian aura around him. And I could hear his voice and he spoke differently. Because when he was first love bombing me and grooming me, it, I noticed now, obviously, dope, on his Facebook and around me, he spoke with caution. He spoke with it uh, almost like he was trying to be more calm and more gentle and more sweet. And then I caught, and it was really rough and ah, rah, rah, like that. And then I, I Another time I actually tracked back through his Facebook and he spoke with much more swearing, more bigotry, more sexism, more um, misogyny, um, much more aggressive. And then almost from the point at which he met me, the, the, the things he would post about and comment on were more gentle and more polite. He just completely switched personalities. But these are very discreet. You have to be mindful. These are discreet. That's why you've got to trust your feelings. Not so much what you can see and understand, but how you feel. Because your body senses danger. It senses things out of kilter. It senses things that are jarring with you. And it jarred with me. <clears throat> and I remember saying to him, oh, you didn't see me. I was at the doors. And his face, it was like fucking melted wax. Just for a split second, his face because he knew I'd seen him when he didn't know I was there. I, he didn't like that, but it was very quick. Switch, switch, switch back. He was not keen that I'd seen him. 
when it wasn't there. So he knew he knew he was a different person. So these are the other things that people often go, do narcissists know that they're narcissists? Do they know that they're pretending? Do they know that they wear masks and they're masking? Do they know that you that they act differently around you than they do around their supplies and their male friends and all this? And it's like, yes, they know. Because if you mention that you've caught them out, you'll see a mask slippage. Anyway, so that was one example with a little Facebook example. Um, next one was I caught him in hunting mode. And I didn't know this was hunting mode until long, about four months after we'd broken up because he basically sexually assaulted. Some women would say rape, some women would say sexual assault, but there was a non-consensual sexual act or sexual event in my house four weeks after uh, we discarded each other um, at, well, at the end of uh, end of April. Yes, end of April 2016 in my house. And I, I saw his face then and I was able to track it back to other times I'd seen it. Pupils fully dilated because um, they're stimulated. They're in hunting mode, they're in feeding mode like animals on a wildlife documentary. A smile, a, a sort of a a creepy grin, like a Halloween mask, and this puffed up sense of that was a nice meal. I enjoyed that. And he'd basically just done what he'd done to me sexually in my house. Um, and because we'd been broken up before that, and he was also still back with Sinead, he cheated on Sinead with me. He'd used me to cheat on her. There was this really sense of, I've been a buffy king. That was fucking great. Like an animal, like a monster. That was the face I saw as he left my house. Um, and I tracked it back and I saw that face when we were in the, again in this workplace. workplace. And I don't know if I was early or if I was going through one of my phases where I, I knew that something wasn't right, so I would be turning up early or whatever. But... I was in the cafe at Global Swimming Pool looking through the glass and he hadn't seen me. He was too busy. And he was watching a woman in the pool. Now, this woman was, you know, like she just had a baby. So she was in that big, like kind of cuddly, squishy mode that women go in. I went in it um, more with my second child than my first and my third. But, you know, we, we go through that depending on how long it takes you to lose the baby weight. I mean, I lost it within the space of a couple of months after all of them, but we go squishy, don't we? We've got big squishy boobs, we've got a squishy bum, a squishy belly, everything, because we've held a, a bo another human inside our body. And we're also producing hormones and hopefully we're breastfeeding them and all that sort of stuff. So she, and she had a tiny baby. This baby must've only been a couple of weeks. And she had a big black swimming costume on like Nigella Lawson used to wear when you used to see her in the magazines and the paparazzi had caught her in uh, the Maldives and she'd wear that big black swimming costume. Um, and the woman wasn't focused on Jonathan. She was had a tiny baby. She's jump, plopping it up and down in the pool. Um, give her a juice for being confident for taking a brand new baby to Glasgow Gorbals pool because you just get constant infections there, probably from blooming Jonathan. <laughs> anyway, um, and she had her back to it, well, kind of side and back to him. And he was stood really close to her. Like, if he'd reached out, he could have touched her. Now, there's no need for that. She wasn't at risk. She didn't even, she wasn't even, water wasn't even past her knees. But he's a, he was a lifeguard. So he was, he had an excuse to stand and watch women and girls in the pool. That's another reason why the fact that Glasgow Life, Glasgow City Council maintained him in that position of trust and authority when they knew 
about the sexual harassment, the sexual acts, the domestic abuse, the domestic violence, and they're looking for partners in his place of work. It's shocking. Um, I mean, I can't think of a worse place you could put a sexual predator than on a poolside. I can't, honestly, genuinely, I can't. But he was there for 15 years. In my, I mean, I was told he got sacked, but, you know, they lie, don't they, Glasgow City Council? Anyway, so he stood that close to right behind her and he was watching her with that look, the big dark eyes, the creepy smile. I mean, he might as well have licked his lips. It was beyond predatory and he was watching every part of her as she moved while she was in a vulnerable state with this tiny baby with her back to him in a pool, in a cosy. And I watched him and he must, he, it was, I could honestly genuinely say it could have been up to 20 seconds until he felt my gaze and he looked at me and I got that look again of, fuck, she's seen me. Oh, hi. That's what I got. Um, yeah, it, it's shocking. It's so, it's, I mean, I like to think I, I, I explain it quite well because I'm a writer. And I think people who have been there and seen their 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 narcissist in play mode or hunting mode or with a mask off could totally identify with this because you have to have been in a relationship with a Casanova psychopath, male or female, to know this stuff, this to or to recognise this stuff. Last one wasn't so much um, predatory or hunting mode, but it was I'd caught him drinking so. He um supposed to be clean and sober. Um, he never goes longer than half a year, by the way. Anybody who thinks that they're with some lovely big guy who's been clean and sober for eight years, don't believe it. Please don't trust it. Um, I always trusted him implicitly. I It was one of the biggest causes of my complex PTSD was seeing him drunk and high when I believed he had been clean and sober for eight years because that was the story he told me. It really, the shock was horrific. Um. But during the early devaluation phase, this a lot of this was early devaluation actually. So, because um, he didn't need to hide it from me when he was in mid and late devaluation, um, and I was in such shock then. Anyway, um, and he he discarded me as usual excuse. Sinead wants this. Sinead wants that. This is Sinead's fault. She's been hassling me all night. She's been texting me all night. I can't be with you, Lucy. Uh, she's. She wants me to dump you. I can't cope with her and with you. You're such a good person. You'd be better off without me. All the usual pish that you used to say to me during a discard while I was crying and begging and being sick and devastated and heartbroken because I'd completely destroyed my, my whole life to be with this man who I implicitly trusted and thought I loved. Um, And I must have had a key at this point. I can't remember. Sorry, everyone. But... I remember letting myself in or getting let in to his flat. It was dark and it smelled. But I, I, I'd never smelled stale alcohol in his house or on him before. So it was unfamiliar, but I couldn't work out what it was, the smell. Um, And he used to smoke these uh, fake cigarette. I used to call it his smoky-dokey, but oh, I can never remember what they're called. Vape, vape thing, right? So, and it would often have different smelling oils in it. So sometimes you'd get a funny smell in his flat and you couldn't quite work out what it was. Anyway, his favourite were the cherry cola ones, but this was a different smell, but it was sweet. I now know, obviously, it was stale alcohol and quite possibly drugs as well. But, and maybe even sex. Yeah, probably was smell of sex as well. That was great. That's just yet another penny dropping, Lucy. 
great. Okay, take a second. Yeah, it was. Because in discard, he was cheating on me. Whether he was cheating with Sinead or somebody else, he was always cheating in discards. He never sat alone. Narcissists rarely sit alone, trust me. See, when you're discarded and they're saying, I can't be with you, I'm having an anxiety attack, I need time on my own, I need to go to a meeting, I need to sleep. They're not, okay? They're sleeping with someone or they're wanking for someone, right? Please just accept that. Um, especially casting over psychopaths. But even my narcissist number one, who was a Machiavellian narcissist, when he was pretending to be in my room doing fucking yoga or whatever it was, meditating. Uh, I've spoke to a girl that he was cheating on me with and he was just messaging her. Um, and he was the most unlikely cheat on the planet. Not to go into too much detail. So anyway, so I'd let myself into Jonathan's flat and all the lights were off, funny smell. I was just riddled with worry and riddled with relief. You know, the discard was over yet again. Here I was in his home yet again. I could go into fawning mode. I could go into codependency mode. I could clean, tidy, open some windows, make a meal. This is all going duh, 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 through my mind. And he's laid in the bed with the covers over him. And I remember lifting the cover and going to kiss him. And I got this waft of, again, it was stale alcohol. But I'm going to tell you, even though my mum was an alky, right? I never smelled stale alcohol before, right? Never. I never knew. I've never smelled it. I know that sounds really silly and naive, but I'd never dated an alky. I'd never been with anybody who didn't clean their teeth or wasn't particularly hygienic. And my drinking wasn't particularly bad at that point. He hadn't quite got me to that point at that point. At that point, at that point, 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 point. Um, and it was waft. And I remember thinking, I do remember thinking, that smells like stale booze. But poof, straight away, the, the codependent came in and the, the loving and trusting partner came in. This guy has been clean and sober for eight years. That's not the smell. He's maybe just not cleaned his teeth last night. Like that. And poof, my initial instincts were push, like pushed away. Um, I now know he had been drinking and drugging through that night and doing all sorts to create this strange atmosphere in the flat and strange smell in the flat. But I mentioned it to one of the wee dudes he claimed he sponsored, but he never sponsored them because I remember saying to the wee dude, oh, Jonathan's looking forward to sponsoring you again. The wee guy gave me a right funny look. So prepare for the funny looks as well, by the way. He never had sponsored him, but he used to pretend he sponsored people to make himself look more clean and sober and more important. And um, that's the Machiavellian side of a narcissist. Um, and I remember mentioning to the wee guy that uh, I'd smelled alcohol on him and he sort of just looked at me and like, and I, and now I know it's because he was obviously relapsing quite a lot and I just didn't realise. So there's your three examples. Um, like I say, please find me on Instagram and Twitter and please, if you go to my YouTube channel, please subscribe before watching and have a look for my books. They're good. There's three of them. They all explore narcissists in different ways. I write in the first person and they're doing well. In fact, for the stalkers that are listening to this, um, remember I warned you about all this just helps my books sell. Well, I've had my highest spike in America, which is a sales spike in six months. <laughs> and I've had my most close together set of sales in six months. So as promised, you sold my books for me. Keep going.